Welcome to the Redemption Hill podcast, addressing current topics practically through a gospel-centered lens and identity. I'm Brandon Mercer. This is Charles Fernandez and Matt Mears. We're elders here at Redemption Hill Church. And for the next several weeks, we are going to be discussing matters of doctrine, some of the core beliefs of our Christian faith, as we seek not just to have a blind faith, but a revealed and a reasoned faith. So we started last week by talking about God and his Trinitarian nature, and this week we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the most popular, famous, well-known, most influential one to ever live. And so we are discussing the person and work of Jesus Christ, God become man. So guys, I'm going to start off the question just by asking the question, or start off by asking the question, who is Jesus? I mean, uh, I did this last week, I'll do it again this week. We have on our website uh, what we believe about the person and work of Christ, and so I think that's a good jumping off point. I mean, we can, you know, go uh, anywhere from there, but uh, it says here, uh, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who became man without ceasing to be God. He became a man that he might reveal God to humanity and redeem us from our sin. He accomplished our redemption by living a sinless life and subsequently dying on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for us. Our justification was made sure by his literal and physical resurrection from the dead. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of the Father, where he serves as the high priest and advocate for all believers. He will return again to earth to once and for all accomplish the redemption of sin and make all things new. So we get a picture there just uh, of, of the person and work of Christ. And so Jesus, uh, in the simplest terms that I can think of, Jesus is the God-man. He is the one who uh, is fully God and fully man. And he uh, came to this uh, earth that he created to, uh, to live uh, the perfect life that we cannot, and to die the death that we all deserve. And so he's God, and he's man, representing both perfectly God and mankind. Yeah, and um, I mean, I like that. To, you know, I had written down, you know, and taken, uh, and I won't read it because Matt uh, just summed it up, but, you know, when you look at the Apostles' Creed, it basically uh, uh, says those same type of things like like you just said, you know, in identifying who Jesus Jesus is, why he came, what he's going to do. Um, you know, I like uh, as well, you know, <laughs> trying to talk about who Jesus is. I mean, I mean, how many names, how many superlatives? We, we, we don't have enough time to go through all those superlatives. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, uh, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so you book in this thing, you know, Alpha and Omega. And so he he is God. Um, and um, in Colossians, in verses 15 through 22, and I, read, I will read this because I think it's very, it's comprehensive. Mm. Um, in Colossians 1, it says, uh, Paul writes, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be uh, preeminent. Um, for in him is the fullness of the Godhead that, uh, excuse me, for in him all the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell in through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So there uh, in that, in those seven verses... I mean, it just packs a lot of truth, you know, but it's it's similar to, Matt, what you just read about what we believe. Um, and it, it you establish him as the beginning and the end, and then this verse sort of fills in who he is, what his ministry is, uh, and, and its implications to us. Uh, it fills in that, that story. Yeah. So, so kind of in summary of those two um, – analysis it's it's really we're talking about the incarnation of god yeah um so you know carna kind of being like the meat that we order at chipotle uh the flesh right uh and then god and so he is god man he is god become man and and it's important to to separate it in those two which matt you were alluding to that he's not a human being becoming god as some uh faiths Mm -hmm. would believe Mm -hmm. but he's god becoming man and he has always been 
Uh, he always will be, uh, but he presents himself in the form of man for a time, for a task, uh, to complete something that has been pointed to from uh, from the Old Testament and he knew would be and was his plan from the beginning of time. And, and he will fulfill because of what he came to do on earth. And so we're talking about God becoming man uh, for a time. Uh, Jesus clearly still has existed from eternity past uh, and is in the present and eternity future. Uh, and so we're, we are talking about the time that God revealed himself as man, uh, the time that his word became living and, and active in the purest and truest sense, uh, where Jesus is, is living out um, and revealing all that God is and doing what only God can do on man's behalf. And, and so let's, let's talk just for a second, kind of having those definitions that you guys have given uh, about who Jesus is. Um, it, it's really no secret um, to us throughout Scripture that, that Jesus was going to come, that God was going to become man. Mm-hmm. And, and so let's talk a little bit about just the, the reason that God became man. So, so going back to that, kind of starting from the beginning, why was it important that God would come down and be man? Be, and and I, like the, I like the phraseology of, of saying that God uh, has always been and became man, but while he was man, he was holy God and holy man. Right. And so, you know, you, he doesn't cease to be God when he becomes man, but he also doesn't cease to be man. He... he he went through the things that we go through, felt the emotions, mm-hmm. uh, dealt with the issues, all of those different kinds of things. So why was it important that he came down and why was it important that he came down the way that he came down? Um, well, I think, you know, it, it, it does start and Brent, I, I really like that. This is where you want to go with it. Um, so from the very beginning uh, in Genesis 1, 1, where it says in the beginning, God said, and, and, and you have the account of, of the of the creation. The incarnation uh, of God becoming man uh, in and of itself is such a miraculous, mind-blowing kind of thing, but takes on even greater significance when you also understand Jesus' role in creation. And so uh, in the scripture, and as it said in Colossians, it says that all things were created through him. Mm-hmm. And there's several instances where it talks about that. And then, um, so in Genesis 1, I think it's important to understand that Jesus that in that creation account, uh, when it says, and God said, and God said, so the worlds are, are literally created by the living word of God. And then we see in the gospel of John chapter one, that Jesus, uh, is the word made, made flesh. Um, so, uh, so Jesus is present at the, at the beginning of creation, uh, when all things are made, made perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we understand, you know, in Genesis chapter, uh, three, that when, when Adam and Eve sin and they break fellowship with God. And then the, and I think, I think most Christians underestimate that, okay, this was not just some simple disobedience. Oh, they happened right. to bite an apple accidentally or something yeah. like that. You know, this yeah. is, this is overthrowing the, the nature of God in favor of your own nature. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, it is rebelling against uh, God as a source of all life in uh, in wanting to uh, become your own source of life, and that yeah. that sin was so powerful that it stains human history, and it breaks everything. And not only uh, uh, and most tragically uh, does it separate man from his creator, but it also causes the breakdown of what God has created: the the animal kingdom, the 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 uh, the the plant kingdom. All these all these things now go into a state of being stained and under the curse of sin. Mm-hmm. And um, so then in Genesis 3, you know, God, one of his promises is that he's going to raise up a seed to set all things back right, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which then becomes, you know, Jesus, the, the incarnation. But my point being is this, is that the incarnation, and when you read about the life of Jesus in, in the Gospels, it takes on even more depth and power, understanding that what he is setting right is he's not coming... He was he was he was an author of it. Mm-hmm. So therefore, he's he, he is uh, uh, most qualified to come and to redeem it, reconcile it and to restore it. Yeah, yeah that's good. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I was going to go to Genesis three fifteen, where we see uh, the first the first mention of the gospel uh, here. And it says in Genesis three fifteen, it says, "I will put enmity." This God talking to the serpent. Uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head. Other translations say he shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so we see there that there's something about offspring. There's there's offspring of the serpent, and then there's offspring of the woman. And so we do. You know, if you if you kind of back out of it a little bit, worldview wise, and you say, you know, God could have sent a redeemer in any way that He saw fit, but Jesus is the offspring of a woman, and and I know that you know that's one of the big important things is talking about that that Jesus was born of a virgin, that He was born of a woman, uh, and and that that points back all the way back to the original uh, declaration that God makes uh, here to. Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden, uh, in the place that was perfection before sin, uh, you know, enters into it and it, and things are broken. I think it's important also to, to to kind of think about Jesus as revealing God to humanity. Yeah. In our brokenness, we are, we have our eyes that are that are our, our vision is clouded. It is it is. We, are, we, we don't see things for what they really are. And so Jesus, one of the things that he does also is he reveals God to humanity. When Jesus comes in all of his, in, in all of his glory and he comes and, and he shows humility, but he also shows great power, uh, it is revealing to humanity uh, what God is like. And, yeah. saying if, and Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and I think that that's you know, some of what we can, we can deduce from uh, from you know when we're talking about the the incar- incarnation and why uh, that's important to us as well. Yeah, and I think we'll see as we kind of continue on in our conversation. This is the only way that that God would could come, right? Exactly. Um, and uh, and and really redeem His creation and community that we were created to have with Him. Because Charles, you're right. We were created to have this perfect community with Him, to know Him and joy in all things. And and then He tells us, and to go back to what you were saying, Matt with uh just the reproduction and and um and having children and the line the lineage of people already set up in the very beginning as soon as he creates man in his image um he tells them to fill the earth and to multiply Mm -hmm. and to multiply those who know him are in community with him who dwell in him who find life in him and who is life and and who connects us to everything that we were created to have. And, and when we decided to not worship the one who created us like him, but we desire to become him or to take the place of him, then that, that rebellion, that betrayal, um, that sin, it separates us from the perfect and pure and holy God. And we begin to fill the earth with things like us rather than what is like God. And so uh, that's how this, this original sin is passed down um, and now all of us are sinful by not only our own sin, but by the sin of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, we're born into sinfulness and brokenness and separation from God. And, and it's why, you know, even we're not getting into this today, but just we cannot redeem ourselves by our good works. Right, right. Um, because we, you know, I mean, one, as soon as we are sinful, how do we recover that one uh, even one sin to become pure and perfect and holy as God is because we are already not, but we're born into it. And so we don't even have the opportunity. We don't start with a clean slate. Um, and, and God uh, made us to have that relationship with him, to image him, to give him glory, to be satisfied in that. Um, but we sin. And so we brought judgment on ourselves um, because we became against the one who is love and, and the one who is just and, and, and in God's grace, we have Genesis 3.15. And it was his plan from the beginning of time right. to reveal to us that we cannot be like him, but he is the only one who is God and who is holy and who is perfect. And he would do all the work to save us and give us a relationship with him for all of eternity. And, and it's this beautiful story that plays out to reveal this to us as he makes the promise that you, that you talked about, Matt, uh, to, to redeem us, to reestablish relationship with us. <clears throat> and then he continues throughout in the entirety of Scripture. So I just want to mention this really quickly. This is the story of Scripture. Yeah. Right. 
and and this is what we have in the Bible. So when you open up your Bible, you are reading the beautiful story of your of everything that you want and everything that you're missing and everything you long for being laid out before your eyes for your ears to mm-hmm. hear the good news of everything that you long for. And and we see that in the very beginning in Genesis 3:15 and we have God making promises with with a people that he calls unto himself to bring about the Messiah who would come. And, and that's why the Old Testament is so important. It points to Jesus coming Mm -hmm. and it gives us the importance of it and, and kind of walks us through this storyline, but all throughout the storyline, God is making promises. Mm -hmm. There, there are these five major covenant promises that he makes uh, to the people who he, he says from your descendants, I will come. And, and there to reveal who God is and what it's like to be his people all throughout the Old Testament, but continue to fail because we cannot do it in and of ourselves. Right. And it continues to point to the reality that we need a savior. But we have these five major covenants and this covenant are promises that are made on the behalf of God's character. So they're not two way promises. Right. Um, a, a covenant is a, is a promise made based on who you are. You know, it's like a marriage covenant. I'm, I'm covenanting together with my wife to say, I will love you regardless of you. I love you because of who I am. And, and they're making that covenant to you. But in God's case, he's the only one who can make the covenant. He's the only one that can, that can be perfect. Yeah. We will fail him. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Um, but he continues to make these promises to his people. Um, and, and each of these promises, I think it's really important. And so I'll just take a moment just to say this. You know, he makes a promise. If you're reading your Old Testament to Noah and his family, mm-hmm. um, and we see that nothing on earth can cleanse us. Water cannot cleanse us. Um, he makes a covenant promise to Abraham and his descendants that God will send a Savior that can actually save. Uh, with Moses and the Israelites, that God will have his kingdom. So he's making this promise that nothing on earth can, can save you. In the second covenant, we see... I will send a savior, as he promised in Genesis 3.15. With Moses, we see, I will have a kingdom. I will have a people. Mm. With David and the kingdom of Israel, uh, we see the covenant that God will be king forevermore, yeah. that his kingship is not ending. And, and the new covenant then of Jesus and the church, and this is what we read in the New Testament, Jesus comes and fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Everything that is required for us to have salvation and and begin we begin to see this beautiful story of how god has to come in this way and why he came in the way that he came mm-hmm. and and each of these covenants and i'll turn it back over to you guys for a second is um show us five very special things one is every covenant has a mediator so every covenant has a person that the promise is being made to um, and then every covenant has a blessing there's a, there, there's a promise there that's a blessing in and of itself that I will do something not on your behalf or for who you are, but because of who I am. Mm. And then it has conditions, right? And so every one of the covenants of the Old Testament have conditions, and we keep seeing the, the people of God break them. Mm-hmm. But the covenant that Jesus comes to fulfill and that we read about in his life and in his incarnation, um, it, it, the, all the conditions are met by him. And so he is the, the mediator. He is the promise. He is the condition fulfiller. Um, and then every, every uh, Old Testament can, uh, covenant has a sign. You know, you see the rainbow. You see uh, circumcision. You see the Passover all pointing to Jesus. You see kings over people. And, and the sign of the, the, the coming of Christ is the work that he does mm-hmm. all on our behalf. Um, and through every covenant, the fifth thing is that everything is, uh, something is formed out of it. Um, and ultimately we see that God's family is being formed out of the covenant that Jesus made with us, that we're being brought back into community, that the effects of the gospel are our salvation and everything beginning to be made right that was made wrong in Genesis 1, Charles, as you were pointing out. Um, and so this is the beauty of it, that we would have a new heart, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 says, that we'd be made new. And the only way that that happens is if we have a new birth, a new life. Um, and, and so that's not making good uh, what has gone bad, but it's, it's becoming new. And only Jesus can fulfill that. And so that's part of the importance of him coming uh, and doing these things. And so uh, would you guys have anything to kind of add uh, into just the, the question of who is Jesus and, and why it's important that he came the way that he came?
No, I mean, I think it's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you it. I mean, you know, uh, I, I, mean, I do like, you know, what you said. This is very general, which is, you know, as soon as you open the Bible and you start with Genesis 1-1, you're getting the gospel story. And I only say that, that seems like such a, a simple truth, but I don't say that because when I was growing up, you know, my understanding of the gospel, well, I never really had a strong gospel explanation, but I think typically people think about, when they think about who Jesus is, they, they relegate it to simply his earthly life. And obviously that is phenomenally uh, central. But, it's, but the, the, the Bible reveals the whole story. Mm-hmm. And um, too much of our Christianity and our faith is, you know, we, we get a bite, you know, and an understanding over here and over here. And you never, sometimes we never put together just the, the story, you know, from, from beginning to end. I mean, it's a massive story, but um, I think that's when you, when you understand what you brought out about the Old Testament and how it reveals Jesus, those covenants, it makes our faith much more uh, deeper, richer. It roots it. Yeah. And, and that root goes all the way to uh, creation. Yeah, and we have to see that need for it. And yeah. then also that Jesus is the only one that can fulfill that need. And so if we're sinful and unable to fulfill that need, and Jesus is the one who is promised throughout the whole thing, all the way back to God making that promise in Genesis 3, and then when Jesus comes, we see he is the fulfillment of that promise. And he tells us that he is, Matthew 26, 26, and 39, yeah. and, and the Lord's Supper, um, that he is fulfilling the covenant um, for his people and on behalf of his people. And so the covenant isn't made to a sinful mediator, Right. But right. one who is pure and perfect and holy, yet is man, so can stand in on man's behalf. Right. right? And so this is why God had to become come in this way. Um, the second member of the Trinity, God himself, coming and living, as Matt, you said, the only way, perfectly. We can't do that. Right. And able to actually take the penalty of our sin because he is holy man. Yeah. So he can take our place. Mm. But he's perfect because he's holy God. Right. So he can take our place. Um, and, and that means that by him coming and fulfilling the conditions on our behalf of the covenant, um, that we can, as our substitute, that we can by grace be saved because he's done the work for us and he's completed the work for us. And so the blessing of the covenant with Christ is salvation. The condition is faith alone. The sign is the Holy Spirit given to us, living and dwelling within us so that we might have a new life, that we might be transformed. Um, and, and adopted as his children. And so, um, so it's just this beautiful reality that we could dig way deeper into, yeah, sure. um, but to kind of move us, move us into um, the next phase of this conversation. Um, so that's who Jesus is. That's why he had to come. He comes this way um, in the only way that, that can actually give us salvation and eternity and new life uh, to bring us back into community that we were created to have but lost in, in, in our sin. So what has Jesus actually done to accomplish that? What has Jesus done to accomplish that? You know, it, it, it goes back to, and we kind of preloaded it right in the last question a, a little bit and began to answer it, but um, Jesus was born uh, in the only way that he could have been born. He lived in the only way that he could have lived. He uh, accomplished all that he was, all that all that he was meant to accomplish, and and you know, living a perfect and sinless life is Jesus's. You know, everybody talks about Jesus. Jesus did this. He died for me. You know, and 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 that is that is a part of it. But but him perfectly representing God. In him perfectly representing mankind, Jesus is in in, in uh, I think he's in Hebrews. He's he's called the second Adam. Yeah. So we have our original father, right? We have uh, uh, the 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 first man, Adam, that was created perfectly, fell, and now sin sin enters into the mankind through the first Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. He is the one who comes and does what Adam could not do. He comes, he lives that perfect life, that sinless life, and then he gives up his own life. He does what only he could do by accomplishing salvation through laying down his life, purchasing salvation uh, on our behalf, something that we couldn't do. We talk a lot about we can't earn it, we couldn't do it. He accomplishes 
all that was required for us to have uh, community with God, and it was substitutionary atonement. And that's an that's another one of those you know fancy words. It means that He stood condemned in our place, that 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 He took on all of the wrath of God for us. Mm. So He lives this perfect life, and He dies this brutal death on our behalf in order to purchase salvation for us. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you guys, because, you know, that's kind of the complete in a nutshell, Mm. go kind of going back and drawing some things out, you know, for him to come and even, and have the opportunity to do all those things. You know, there's this idea of, and we celebrate it every Christmas that Jesus was born, Mm. um, but going all the way back to Genesis 315, as we've already read, he wouldn't be born of a man, but of a woman. So we know that he has virgin birth and we read about that in in the stories and um, and then, then the New Testament Gospels, Matthew 1, 18 to 25, one of my favorite places that reveals that, that he was born of a virgin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the significance of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, what is the significance of that for him to be able to actually live out what, Matt, you were just saying? Yeah, yeah well, so I think what the significance of that, you know, ties into what Matt was saying, is that to understand he was born of a virgin uh, stresses the fact that man's main, main problem is not a behavioral problem problem it is a nature issue in mm-hmm. uh brendan you alluded to this in your in your comments here a minute ago so jesus is able to in your know, vocabulary so jesus is able to do what adam was not able to do because and uh and for someone they would look at that and think well no that's a behavioral thing he was able to do what adam wasn't able to do but you have to look at why that was and the reason why that was is because jesus was perfectly submitted to the will of his father he never separated himself um uh or better way to put it he he consistently stayed in communion with his father mm-hmm. um uh he uh so by doing that you know and being born of a woman and not of the seed of man so then the bible says uh that uh when we're born again we're born of the divine nature so uh mary is found with child she's with child of the holy spirit Mm -hmm. so the seed that jesus is born of is not tinged with sin because he's he he has his uh uh, he's fully man because he is born of mary but he's fully god because he's born of the spirit um but then as he lives his life uh it's not just him powering through life Mm. you know on uh in, in just accomplishing good things it's the fact that he stays in perfect communion draws his strength uh, from his perfect communion that he has with the Father, and from that, he's able to live out and uh, and as a second Adam accomplish what the first Adam was not. Yeah, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, right. which we now have in Him. Right. So there's this reflection of like the community we now have with God in the life of Christ, uh, though we do it imperfectly in our flesh uh, that still exists until we are made new with Him fully. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, that's the beauty of that. And, and just to, to, to summarize that quickly, the significance of that is just so huge, even, even in the way that he came, right? Because he, he comes revealing not as this rich ruler, uh, born in a king, in a castle, uh, but he came to, to rule a different kind of kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. There's something much more deep and foundational, uh, about everything that we want and long for than just what we can accomplish and build up on earth and the kingdoms we can have of earth. We weren't created for any of that. Those were created to reveal him. And so he comes in a way that reveals what he's actually coming to do, a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of king, with a different kind of people who, who focus on and care about different kinds of things. And it, and it definitely reveals the three implications, the three theological implications that you were just talking about, Charles, that the salvation belongs to God alone. And, and he is the only one without sin. And so salvation does not belong to man. There's nothing that we can do. And he is also, we also see in the virgin birth that it demonstrates a, a picture of our new birth mm-hmm. and what we are given in Christ and, and this new life and this being brought back into community with God and being set free from our rebellion and sin, not on our work, but on his work by grace. And the virgin birth also shows us that, that only God could come and he could only come in this way by doing exactly what he did. Okay. And he pointed to that all in the Old Testament. And, and, it, and the New Testament points back to his, his coming and his work. And so um, just a beautiful reality of even the way God begins. He enters into earth. And mm-hmm. the only way that he could to do what only he can do 
Um, and, and I think it sets up, and this is the beauty of what we talk about at Christmas so often, we just kind of glance over it. Um, but it means so much mm. and theologically to us and our salvation. And, and so from there, okay, let's continue. Um, he, he's born of a virgin. Uh, this is necessary to, to occur. And, and then how, how does Christ continue to, um, to work and to complete the work uh, that can only be done by him to bring us into community with God? Well, Matt mentioned earlier, I mean, he lived a sinless life. And once again, I want to stress that this is not just about behavior. Um, it's the aspect of he worshiped the Father and the Father alone. Um, but uh, but in, so in living the sinless life uh, and expanding on that is the aspect of that he, being fully God and fully human, he fully uh, and willingly and, full, and fully entered into the human experience. Mm-hmm. Every dynamic of the human experience. Uh, so the scripture declares that, I mean, he, he feels what I feel. He was tempted in the same way that I was tempted. Every experience, every situation that I could possibly encounter or live through, both celebratory and both uh, tragic and everything in between, Christ entered into that experience and, and lived it. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, this is profoundly important because once again, we, we tend to religiously sanitize things and we think about things, oh, well, he died on the cross and just to make me a good, a good church person. Mm. No, the reason, okay, no, the, Jesus enters fully into man's experience so he can be um, uh, a, uh, so he can be uh, the one who we can run to who fully identifies uh, with our suffering, fully identifies with our, our, our celebration, fully identifies with day-to-day life. So his redemption is total. Hebrews talks about how he saves to the uttermost, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I mean, so every aspect of human existence, Christ comes, he enters and he experiences it. And so therefore, when he goes to the cross, he's able to redeem it and open the door for the restoration of it. And that's why it is not just a behavioral thing. It's not just about yeah. uh, uh, me being a, a, good, uh, a good person or anything of that nature. It's the aspect of he is able to change not just my nature, but he's fundamentally able to renew the nature of, uh, of all of creation. Yeah, and I think even to, to build on that just a little bit, um, to say it wasn't just about living good. No, I, I mean, we see all throughout Scripture and in the life of Christ that it was a pleasure for him to yes. live in oneness with God mm. through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and that it was his joy. Like he yeah. did not want to get out outside of that. And that reveals to us where our lives would have the most joy. Yeah. And, and you see this even in the Garden of Gethsemane when he, he knows mm-hmm. that the time has come for him to do what only he can do for us to be brought back into that type of community. Right to bring us into the freedom that we were created to have, that, that it is the deepest suffering that he could possibly go through to imagine not living perfectly in the Father's will, yeah. not living perfectly in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the, the greatest joy in life that he has is knowing that he is one with God. Yeah, that I mean, he, that, I'm sorry. Right, go ahead. No, but he just says in the gospel, says, my yeah. food, to your point, my food is to do my Father's will. Yeah. That's where I, I draw my sustenance through that perfect communion with the Father. Yeah. And at different instances in the life of Christ, there is, uh, in, in what, I, what I think about is, is in the uh, wilderness when he is tempted, Satan offers him an out. Yeah. You can opt out of suffering and we can, uh, and we, uh, your goal, Jesus, is to set up a kingdom. Well, all these kingdoms have been delivered unto me. I will deliver them to you if you only bow down and worship me. Mm-hmm. So Satan is offering Christ the chance basically the same temptation that he came at Adam with, Mm -hmm. he comes to Jesus with, and Jesus responds by saying, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God only. And so once again, he relies on that sustenance, that pleasure that he has in the Father, Brandon, that you're talking about in order to to accomplish what he has accomplished because that's his pleasure. It's his pleasure to please the Father. Yeah, and to take that away is a worse pain than the cross. Yeah. And, and I think that's what we see in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and so, yes, Jesus lives this perfect life. He is, he is uh, God, become man. And so he doesn't uh, even uh, cease to be God as he is man, right. but he's, he's holy both at the exact same time. We see that in, in Scripture. 
as well. Philippians 2.7 tells us that God emptied himself. Um, he humbled himself, it's translated. Um, and so he didn't give up his, his godness, if you will, um, but he became man and, and he humbled himself to do so. Colossians 1.19 tells us that, that he, him, uh, in him is the fullness of God. Mm-hmm. The fullness of God dwelt. And so he is, he's still holy God, holy man at the, at the same time. And so he's able to live perfectly in community with the Father, revealing to us that that is what we were actually created to have and what we long for, right. whether we know it or not. Um, but also being able to pay the penalty for our rebellion mm-hmm. so that we can have our eyes open to the reality that that is what we long for and provides the grace for us to experience it. Right. And, and so it's, it's so important that he lives in that way and reveals uh, these things. And scripture is very clear that he was, he was God mm-hmm. and that he also was a man for, for that time. I um, mean, we see that all throughout scripture. And then he fulfills Everything in the Old Testament. I mean, Matt, I think you uh, had mentioned it uh, a little bit ago, the, the whole idea of prophet, priest, and king, mm-hmm. um, and that Christ reveals himself to be the prophet. He mm-hmm. tells us of what is to come. He fulfills everything that was foretold. Uh, he's the priest. He's the mediator between God and man. He lays himself down and, and is the sacrifice for us to have salvation, and he atones for our sin, Matt, as you, as you alluded to and said earlier. And, and he does that for us, and, and, it, and, and he gives us his righteousness in that. And so in his sacrifice, he not only takes our unrighteousness away for us, but by his grace, he gives us his righteousness. Mm-hmm. And so it's that whole idea of double imputation, that, that our sin for his righteousness mm-hmm. uh, is taken and given. Um, and that means we're not just forgiven by the cross, but we are made good in his right. eyes. Right. And we're able to live in, in that reality, uh, which there's a lot that we could talk about there. But then he also reveals himself to be king. And he rises from the dead. Mm. He is perfect, and the wages of sin is death. We all die because we've walked away from God. We experience illness because we've walked away from God. But Christ was perfect. Mm-hmm. He was sinless. So therefore, death could not hold him. Right. It was a foregone conclusion that he would rise from the dead. And, and he died for our sin. He rises to overcome sin and death, to defeat it after taking our sin upon himself uh, so that we would have the opportunity to be saved by placing our faith in him and saved by grace. And, and he rises to, to give us new life, showing that he is king over all things. Nothing can hold him. Nothing can defeat him. Uh, and he reigns and rules over everything. And that, that resurrection ensures our salvation, First Peter 1.3 tells us. Um, and so, so given all of that, um, what then does the, that gospel truth, what Christ has done, we understand the implications of it when we place our faith in him in our lives. Um, but what does that mean for the future? Yeah, I think it, it's, uh, it is the, it is the only place where hope can be found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm thinking about the future, I'm wondering about I'm wondering about what's going to happen. I'm wondering about what's going to happen to me and what's going to happen to my friends and what's going to happen to my community and what's going to happen to my wor- the world that I, that I live in, my city, you know. And the only hope that we can find is in Christ. Yeah. <clears throat> because we know what he has done and we know from the book what he will do. And understanding and, and the reason why I think we 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 look back so often is because uh, we look back at what God has done and then and how he's fulfilled every promise that he's ever made. And then we have some promises that are yet to be fulfilled. Mm. And, you know, when I think about Jesus, I think about that he was both the fulfillment of all of what the Old Testament spoke of. He was also the one who lived the most fulfilled life of anyone mm. that has ever lived. And that he will continue to fulfill all of the promises that God has made. Mm-hmm. And that gives us a great sense of hope. That, great, that gives us hope for, uh, hope for tomorrow and, and whatever, whatever the song says, glad tidings for today. You know? And so I can live today because I'm looking forward to the hope that I have in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that begins to, that is a pressure release valve yeah. for my soul. It begins to decompress all of the self-glory, self-fulfillment, self-aggrandizing that my soul desires. 
it begins to give an, uh, a, a release for all of that. And it begins to allow God to uh, take the proper place in the, on the throne of my heart and allow Jesus to do the good and perfect work through the power of the Holy Spirit that he has always going to be. He's always he's always been doing that. He's always doing that, and he always will do that. And so he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that gives hope, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. I agree. And, and um, you know, it, it's like what Matt said, you know, in Colossians chapter 1, when you realize that not only did that through him all things were created, but it says um, that he is before all things, and in, thing, in him all things hold together. Yeah. All right, so then that... That becomes, as Matt was uh, talking about, not only my hope for the future, but I realize that right now he's holding all things together. In other words, I, I, I live in this present material world, and if this is all there is, there is no hope. Yeah. I mean, if 2020 has done anything, it's to, it, is, it is to highlight how uh, the, the, in this material world, as human beings, we don't have control over coronavirus, mm-hmm. the pandemic, the economy. Um, we, there's so much, uh, uh, injustice and things that are going on. The, the, the stress in our culture would be enough to overwhelm anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, if there's ever been a six months to turn the, the, the best optimist into a, a raging pessimist, it's been these past six months. Mm. But when you realize that, well, the end of all things is not in just this material realm of what I'm experiencing right now, that actually that there is a kingdom that transcends what I see. That's right. That Jesus holds all things together. And then I can trust because he is the one who's created. He is the one who is, uh, uh, who is uh, redeeming and restoring. There is a story playing out uh, behind what I see that, as Matt says, gives me hope. So therefore, since my... Uh, uh, pleasure and my peace and my satisfaction is in him and I believe that he is holding all things together then as I'm going about my day-to-day life I don't have to be a pessimist I don't have to be drowning in in uh, uh, in, 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 in doubt or depression or living in fear and anxiety uh, and I can actually be a voice of grace and a voice of peace and a voice of mercy to my family my friends my co-workers because I see the the true reality that plays out, which is the fact that Jesus in him, he holds all things together and that he is presently redeeming. He has, he has redeemed and is, rest- and is restoring. Yeah. So uh, it just, once again, as Matt said, that, that's what gives us security, hope, and peace because we are rooted in him. Yeah, that's good. And so if our faith is in Christ, right, we've placed our faith in him, we are brought back into community with him by his work, our identity has become his his identity. Our his righteousness has become our righteousness. His holiness, our holiness. We're made whole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're fulfilled now in him. And and so, Charles, as you're saying, hope doesn't end in death. Right. But hope is fully revealed in our death. Yeah. And and so we know Christ now. We have community with him now. It affects everything, and everything in us is being redeemed, and and everything around us, God is redeeming. And ultimately will redeem, but that is fully known when we are with him, uh, and that is fully known in the redemption of the world when he comes again and makes all things new. Right. Mm-hmm. But because he came, we know that that is a reality, mm-hmm. and and his resurrection ensures that exactly that new life. First yeah. Corinthians six fourteen, yeah. and and Paul call, uh, says that he is the first of first fruits in his resurrection. Mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 15. So when we place our faith in Christ, our resurrection is sure. Yeah. That our new life in him is sure. Our eternity in him is sure. And um, and, and that is the beautiful hope and truth that, mm-hmm. that you guys are, are pointing to, that in him all things will be made new. Yeah. And, and we will enjoy him for all of eternity in the way that we were ultimately created to outside mm-hmm. of sin. And so no more sin, no more darkness, no more pain, sorrow, death. Um, all of those things will come to an end yeah. and, and in Jesus Christ. And so uh, the fact that he came, it means all of those things. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of his coming and, and his work on our behalf and the grace that we have. So, so to, close, to close up, I know we've reflected on these things a little bit, mm-hmm. but maybe in 60 seconds, um, you know, um, 
why does it matter? Why does, what, what, what does it? So those are kind of the truths and just the whole, the idea of, of Christ and his coming. But how does that affect us? And, and I know we've kind of just touched on that a little bit. Um, but what does that mean to us? I think that for me, it, it really does kind of change the way I think about, um, about relationships in many regards, because I, I think about how, what God, what God did in, in Christ, right? So as, uh, you know, John three sixteen, right? So, mm-hmm. so he, he, for God loved the world in, in such a way that he sent, uh, he gave his one and only son. So there's this idea of how God has related to us. And therefore our response is in how we relate to God and how we relate to others. Because the in Romans it talks about that though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, mm. he sent Jesus, right? Yeah. Though we were dead, he made a way for us to have new life. And so there is a, a very real relational point where we can have uh, redemptive relationships. Mm. We can have redemptive relationships because we have been redeemed. So if you are in Christ, you have now, the through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have this incredible opportunity to have redemptive relationships where you can love people in the way, and you can reflect. We talked before about how our reflection has been marred by sin. Well, as you are being sanctified, as you're being uh, progressively sanctified by God, that you can reveal the goodness of God in new and fresh ways, in the ways that you relate to God, but also in the ways that you relate to other people around you. And, you know, you hear a lot, the like the tagline stuff and the bumper sticker stuff is like, you know, you may be the only Jesus that somebody sees today. Well, like the truth in that is that as you are revealing what has been done for you and in you, now you do that and it comes out through you, that you are reflecting, you are beginning, becoming what they, what they called us in Antioch, the, the little Christs, right? You are, you are Jesus in that situation or in that relationship. And so I think that matters a great deal for how we just treat one another, mm, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, when you find your identity in Christ, then no longer do you have to find your identity in the things of the world. So exactly. you're not forced to have to accomplish and gain and control and have power um, or, or to just gain love from other people or whatever yeah. it is. You, your self-interest becomes a, a humbling reality that I'm given everything that I need in Christ. And so therefore, um, I don't have to uh, to be a taker, but I can become a giver. Mm. And that affects everything. Right. You know, exactly. Charles. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking on, on a personal level, whenever you're talking about this, I just think about, you know, when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, and I felt God beginning to, God began to reveal himself to me. You know, and it's always sort of blown my, blown my mind, just a simple scripture um, that God demonstrated his love toward us, that even while I was still a sinner, even while we're still sinners, Christ died. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and back then I didn't know any words like incarnation or anything like that. All, mm-hmm. all I knew is that Jesus... Jesus came, but then the more uh, uh, part of my story in coming to faith is the is, is the aspect of just being totally blown away by the fact that God came after me, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and then in and then in, in sensing that, I began to realize I began to realize that I was separated. There was a there there was a separation. I couldn't verbalize why that was. I didn't know necessarily the couldn't have made a theological argument about it. I didn't, didn't know any Bible, mm-hmm. you know, but there just became this sense as that there's this distinction between God and me. And then once I realized that he was the creator, because I, I had grown up going to church and I did realize that God was creator. And, and then Jesus came uh, after me and he rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. And then in my mind, uh, for me, what brought me to Christ was not so much the aspect of having a, of, of receiving him as savior, although I'm, I'm thankful for that, but was the, the aspect of he is truly Lord mm-hmm. and he's glorious in that. And uh, his resurrection proves that. And then in, in believing that, then uh, I begin to feel what it says here in Colossians uh, where uh, chapter one, verse 21, it says that, uh, that you were once alienated and hostile in mind. 
but now he has reconciled mm -hmm. me. And um, so uh, the implications for me was becoming aware of the fact that I am, uh, uh, my relationship with God is broken, not because I think bad thoughts and all these kinds of things, but because he is fundamentally different, set apart, and he is so holy that there's, that I am totally not holy. So therefore I, I need him. And, and so those were just like very basic things that even, I mean, to this day, now it's been well over, you know, 35 years, but um, that when I think about those things, it, the miracle of it just captures my heart again. And then it just makes, it, it causes me to want to worship and to pursue him and to please him. Yeah, that's good. It's really good. Yeah, I think when I when I think of my identity in Christ because of His coming and living and dying and rising, um, I just immediately think of the freedom, mm. the the freedom we talked about to live as I was actually created to live, um, and how restful that is. Mm. So it's like a a joy that I don't have to work for, yeah. <laughs> um, and and it's a happiness I don't have to work for, but I can actually rest because all the work's mm. been done. Yeah. And it can't be lost because it wasn't mine to gain in the first place. And it can't be ruined because I already, right. I never deserved it in the first place. Right. Um, and, and I think that can just, it's a, it's a freedom and a rest that can just be enjoyed. And, um, and who we are in Christ just defines everything else that we do, as you said, Matt. And, yeah. and so it's just this beauty um, all given to us by God through the work of the Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. And so we are thankful today to God and all of his work and everything that he has done, his grace and his salvation. Uh, so we love you guys. We're praying for you. Uh, if you have any questions or you want to have different topics that you might want us to address, please send an email to info at redemptionhill.net. We would love to do that. God bless you, and we will see you next week.